What's next for IT? In today's economy, technology touches every aspect of the day-to-day operations of business. There has never been more pressure on IT to deliver for our organizations. So what can we expect over the next decade? We need to think differently about how we approach our work to continue to thrive into the future. This requires all of us to be intentional in how we look at our role going forward. Smart IT is an approach to getting the important things done by transforming the way we think, work, and lead. And now, let's disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk the Smart IT way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart IT Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, William Reed, and today I'm proud to introduce Ramsey Nilar. I'm really excited to uh, have a conversation with him. Today, we're going to talk about a little EA, or for out there who knows that as enterprise architecture. <laughs> so, Ramsey, hey, great to have you on the show today. Thanks, William. Good to be here. Well, uh, I was uh, looking around my LinkedIn network, uh, looking for somebody who could cover this topic for us. Uh, so as you know, in the Smart IT podcast, we, we're looking ahead for the next decade and beyond, uh, seeing where IT is going, some of the challenges and what we can do to upscale uh, or upscale our, our, uh, ourselves to be ready for that. Everything from talking to business language, uh, to build and handle leadership roles, team building, all the kind of skills you need to add on to all the technology that kind of uh, powers our digital uh, infrastructure. Uh, so I came across you, Ramsey, because we're both in, a, I think, an EA group on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. I been, yeah. I hadn't been in for a while, so I checked in, and uh, you happened to post that week, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't post every day. I post once in a while. Well, well I'm glad you did that week, because the universe yeah. brought us together. There uh, it is, yeah. yeah. So we got a chance to connect, and I said, you know, you'd be the perfect guest on here to talk Thank about you. EA. Uh, so let's uh, take a little step back. and talk about where EA come from and kind of the history of it. But um, uh, the one thing I am excited about, uh, everybody, um, so this guy I'm talking to right now, expert, global expert in everything digital transformation, right? This is everything from talking to the business, talking to architects, talk to analysts, project managers, solution architecture, architects, software engineers. So for over the last couple of decades, he has seen all the different elements of what, what it takes for a business to go through that entire process of transforming digitally. Um, so he's uh, had a very uh, long career in IT, everything from the help desk uh, all the way up to that CIO role. So he has a great uh, view of all the different roles, the different types, the titles, the responsibilities. So I think this is going to be a great conversation here. And so I'll let you uh, open up a little bit about sure. yourself. And then, you know, sure. I know you got your own company now helping clients, yeah. but you can start there. Just get a little background. Oh, for sure. Audience. Well, uh, thanks for sharing. Um, best advice I can give anybody. You find what you love to do and you'll never work again. And I've been one of those fortunate. Uh, so I, I spent quite a long career. I was very fortunate in my career. A lot of it's dumb luck. I think um, I came into the industry in 79. And that was a time when you could just ride the technology all the way up. And my theory at the time was ride each wave, like try to get on the next wave early. Don't be a late adopter, be ahead of the curve. 
um, architects most likely even need to be uh, have so we need to have some sort of our R and D ex experience. We need to do some play and research in the sandbox. After I left corporate, and I had really awesome bosses and and really awesome projects, uh, and um, a lot of great mentors. Um, I went on to form a private corporation. And it's somehow it stayed in business 24 years. And somebody told me, gee, that's unusual. Most businesses don't last that long. Yeah. Uh, and especially in a weird area I'm in, I'm in a very misunderstood uh, silo called EA or Enterprise Architecture. And I, I liken it, um, I founded that company. And all I really do now in the last 20 some years, the mission of that company is because I worked in the trenches of every IT pretty well at the time, it's a tough business. Yeah. IT is an extremely tough business. We have our customers we serve who will never understand what we do. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we never get caught up because yeah. there's always something new. Uh, so you have to have certain traits, like you need to want to be a human, Humiliated continually, I call it, because yeah. machines get smarter and smarter. Yeah. And you have to keep relearning. There's so that's if you don't like doing that, let's not be here. Let's not yeah. go there. But if if you kind of like the challenges of, of learning and growing, and I think the greatest challenges I've really experienced, just to wrap it up about the company and the corporate corporate uh, my corporate experience was seeing the success that you can help kick off and just watch it fly away and they get 10 times even more successful. So there's a lot, there are people being successful. Uh, the myth is that there's a lot of failure. Um, I'm actually a little, oh, what's that word you're gonna use? Um, well, I'm a little skeptical, um, but I, my market, when I started, the last thing I wanna say about the company, I knew I couldn't compete with big guys because I'm a small insight organization, a boutique, and a marketing budget I don't have. So I just sold to people who got it. <laughs> oh, like that. Don't get it. Yeah. I'm not there, right? So it was easy business model. So I think that's what's kept me alive is that there are 10% of the, uh, at least 10% that really understand how to do things and they know who to find and they see how to get it done, and they they pull you in. So having said that, but I also we want to re reinforce my experience in the coming through the trenches from help desk to CIO and loving just about every job, except operations manager was kind of tough. Okay. Waking up with a pager all night long. Ooh, yeah, that's rough. 8,000 people are down, you know. <laughs> and one of my bosses wouldn't buy me a, a, a power, uh, uninterrupted power system. Because <laughs> sometimes you have power outages and the, yeah. the entire machine, 3,000 people go down. That was a long time ago. But it's a great industry. It's high. It's very misunderstood. I, and yet it's core. Uh, everywhere you go, it's a core thought process. The body has an architecture. If you just think of the human body, it has an architecture. Uh, the, the, the dynamics of the earth going around the moon and the sun, that's an architecture. There, there's things you don't see. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean to say they're not there. So that's kind of my insight on, on where I come from in architecture. And it's, it's interesting. You talked about everybody, including EAs, being kind of upfront and not taking too long to, to get onto the next big thing. So obviously everybody's talking about AI and 
there's a lot of hand wringing yeah. about that. So I guess that's oh, another, yeah. another topic where EAs need to be on top of that up front, reading about what's oh, yeah. possibly learning, getting their hands dirty. On that. Absolutely. So architecture is nothing more than change. There's nothing, it's more than, it's just super change manager. Where do you want to go? Where am I now? How do I get there? That's all architects do. And uh, one of the best metaphors is the building industry. Uh, when they build these Freedom Tower in New York, they just don't hack that together. You guys go find some concrete. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to be honest, our industry is so young. We're so far away from architecture. But, you know, despite the fact that we keep trying to bring it in and get rid of it over again, you know, architecture is so strong, it's unbelievable. Just think about Bill Gates. Think about Apple. Think about um, uh, Amazon, Jeff Bezos. All the richest people in the world are architects. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. And everybody thinks they're just nerds. Well, they had to start. They started like, their IT people. They're IT driven. They're being rewarded for their insight and in putting technology together with business models. And in AI, yeah, that's another great one. I'm extremely excited about that. And I've been working with some, a number of players. Um, AI, I don't think many, just like the, when, you know, I liken it to, I, I built the 200th website in the world. Mm -hmm. We were shocked when we went online every day and see two more websites. And now I don't know how many millions there are. Well, it's the same. I, I, I like it, the change that we're going through. Uh, in AI, or soon to be, nobody knows what the internet was in those days. I would tell people there are going to be addresses on buses, and people said, what are you talking about? There'll never be an internet address on a bus. Well, it, it, now we snap pictures and there's links to the internets and webs. AI, you got to start living it as soon as you can. And how I'm doing it in my little way is in the architecture knowledge space. Can you imagine no more code? You know, I can I can have a, a knowledge repository of all my architectures, and I can just say do this, do that, do this, do that, and the SQL is written, the code is written. It's going to completely. I think it's going to help enterprise architecture because uh, we never get enough staff to do it. Nobody really understands what it is. That's good. Does everybody need to understand? No. Does everybody understand how to design a beam so it takes a load? No. Uh, those are kind of backroom things that we do. So, yeah, we um, it's very exciting. You're, I predict we're most likely going to have hundreds of AIs. I think we're going to have a medical AI that's your personal AI. Um, and, and, and there's going to be good and there's bad. I mean, there's going to be balance. <laughs> but uh, it all depends how we're going to use it. But I'm pretty excited about the enterprise architect AI. And I'm starting to see it, although a lot smarter people are um, showing me the way. And I think maybe within six months from now, we're going to have some really demonstrable uh, EA, um, you know, like Copilot, Microsoft Copilot, all these AI tools. There's going to be literally millions of them. Just like they thought there'd be one website or 20. I mean, I went, first went to IBM to work in my early days, and they said, there's not going to be any more than 20 mainframes. Okay, well... <laughs> You know, there's not yeah. going to be more than 500 websites. Yes. I, I think there's going to be millions of AIs, and they're going to be very personal and um, knowledge-based. Right now, we're at a stage, though, where it's immature. Um, if you're a knowledge expert, if you're a medical expert or an, an, any kind of expertise, you'll kind of laugh at the results you're getting. 
because they haven't been trained right. You know, there's not enough knowledge out there that's been vetted. And, you know, with knowledge, there's also a lot of knowledge that may not be uh, well formed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, yeah. well, so I'm excited about that. It's going to be a good time. Well, I love just the whole topic of EA. Um, can you start to think about all the changes that the business goes through? And it's like a nice history of that, right? Business, yeah. how it's evolving, how it's changing over the decades, right. and then how technology is follow, uh, following along in some places leading, but how is it actually supporting that? So let's take a look, step back and talk about the history of sure. business and technology transformation itself. Yeah, well, the history of business. Uh, so I go right, I would just even start with the discovery of fire. I wonder if it was discovered. Maybe there's a forest fire and somebody found yeah. a burnt deer. Um, it, it most likely moved, uh, moved us along. And then they came up. Remember the BC cartoons we used to have, the, the wheel? Yeah. And now we see people racing around town, standing on these little wheels. <laughs> but the wheel kind of made the world move faster. And every innovation, it's most likely arithmetic, where every innovation is more rapid. And right now, we're most likely going through such a rapid rate of growth. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to a few other markers first. The invention of the mainframe. Um, computing, and then Dr. Um, uh, the woman who invented COBOL. Why do I remember her name? Forget her name. Uh, COBOL was an, actually an object-oriented language. It was a very advanced language based on other languages. It was a business language, business object language, common object business language. And then we had another big move where we moved from main relational database. Uh, that's where my career started off with. I got in early at the relational database curve. That meant you could build five systems a year instead of one every five years. Because you could automate, you know, the relational database was just much more powerful. And then along came, you know, the object-oriented programming, which I was right at the beginning of that. And I, I went all around the world teaching object-oriented programming uh, after I left corporate. And it was phenomenal to go into these shops in Sweden and Hong Kong and all around the world in the U.S. and the military to see what people were doing with this language because it made programming so much faster. Then we had the uh, the web, the internet, which is huge, and then the social media thing, which is now going. So every even one of these developments just makes us go faster. What isn't going faster is how humans evolve. We're human beings. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're animals. We're feelers. We're in this real world. We're not in the digital world, yeah. and and we're trying to be there. So. The um, the digital transformation has been going on forever, and it just shocks me to see how many people bite it off without even thinking there's an expertise to it. Oh, no, we'll just do it on Sunday on the weekend. Well, by the way, read a book. We're going to change 300 people's way of thinking by Monday. We're going to go to microservices, for example. Yeah. And I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen where the boss, 200 guys, were going to Microsoft uh, services on Monday, read a book. It's it's all these things are new ways of thinking. They're not just a knowledge base. You've got to sort of experience them and see what they do to you. So I've been involved in AI-like things for so long because I was one of the earlier adopters of case tools. Case tools were jet code generators going back 30 years now. Now they get so sophisticated. But with AI, uh, we've got, you know, all the things you don't like to do in technology, all the drudgery, 
yeah. If we, these AIs can really help us. That's amazing. I, I had a personal experience once. I was setting up a cloud site with Azure. And I was on this site. And I'm a wannabe technologist. I mean, I learned the skills a long time ago, but every time you have to learn the ter new terms, they introduce new terms that mean the old ideas. Same things, yeah. Like it's not a disk drive, it's some other kind of data lake or whatever, some other term that you don't know. And I'm struggling in there. I'm so close, I can taste it. And I'm talking to this chatbot, and I really don't like chatbots because I don't find them really, they don't, they don't have insight. They can only seem to work from a deterministic point of view. And all at once, I'm realizing this thing I'm talking to is really intelligent. And then I realized it was a Microsoft AI. What better tool than grappling with an IP address or some bizarre arcane concept to come through and say, did you mean this? <laughs> yeah, I no. felt like, okay, I think AI is going to work. And so that was my when I kind of got turned around on it. Because yeah, fantastic. Because like you, you find the help in a place you didn't expect it. And there's so many different opportunities every single day that you're never going to hire oh, yeah. another human to help you with that particular problem necessarily. Right. Yeah. And it's a mundane task like, okay, I have nobody to do it for me. So now I have yeah. an ability for somebody to come up with a solution to be yeah. available to help out. Yeah. It's it's a it's an assistant. Um, and I'm a real skeptic because I was doing decision tables and all this advanced stuff, but the AI stuff is an entirely new, completely new concept. That you have to get your head out of the deterministic approach. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, 70, they're saying now that 75, some re leading doctors, AI doctors, AI, AI is helping doctors or diagnosing 75% better than a medical doctor. So what's going to happen with architecture or programming? Um, so, you know, the downside, and I don't know why people want to regulate it. I, I don't quite understand that. Um, uh, it's it's it maybe there's a lot of fear definitely regulating it for warfare well that's not going to happen <laughs> most likely our competitors are already way ahead of us <laughs> i think it's this unknown and fear that kind of leads to people say oh my god it's scary so let's have somebody oh, yeah. come in and give us some guidelines here yeah yeah but so transformation is just change and and we don't like to change people we don't love to change uh, we have to we have to kind of like the old stuff to hang on to, but we also have to learn how to continually change when it makes sense. A lot of people just change for the sake of change, and you see so much of that, like, oh, new look and feel, but there wasn't one functionality change. You just have to look all around the screen for the new button that they move somewhere else. Yeah. That is that is really sad. Uh, yeah, productivity loss. Yeah. But, oh, but good point, right there, that productivity loss, right? They made an aesthetic, aesthetic change. With no yeah. functionality improvement, but then it put more uh, uh, friction on the user. And you're like, why yeah. did you do it? Why didn't you think through something that will actually help me as opposed right. to harder? Yeah. So although we go forward, have you noticed that every 10 years, we throw away what we did the last 10 years in technology? For example, in, in well-matured technologies, you'd have a help drop-down button that would tell you, give you an example of the error. Now you're on a smartphone and there's no edit checking and every I call smartphones really dumb because there's like 300 apps that don't talk to each other. Right. We, we got so good before smartphones because we could start integrate. Well, we are way better on the other platforms because we can integrate so well with basic standards. 
But the transformation area in enterprise architecture is, you know, we have groups out there that certify people. They know what to do. We've had a lot of bad experiences with architects in the industry who said they were architects that really aren't. Um, a lot of people, you know, go up the corporate ladder and yeah. just try to get a, you know, they change the name. Remember when trash collectors were called engineers, <laughs> sanitation engineers, <laughs> and then we have the same problem in technology where, yeah. oh, I'm now an architect, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, well, business good, analyst man. wasn't good. Okay, now I'm an architect. Well, that's a good point, too, because right now, even some people in IT don't hear the word uh, enterprise architect very often, but maybe hear it on like a cloud architect, and that might be it. Yeah, so I know. unless you're a very large enterprise that actually hires yeah. enterprise architect, with maybe a couple of people underneath them, a lot of companies and IT teams don't have them officially, right? Those are the people I work for is people with anywhere from three to 30 architects. And there's some shops with many of them, but... The, the way to make architecture work is it's a team sport. It's a collaborative sport. It's a people sport. It's not a technology game. The technology is a secondary skill. It's all the skills we have. But if you do not, an architect has no power. We, we barely have influence. So the best thing we can do is really show value and reduce risk. And never take credit for it. It's not the business person's job. They, it's their stuff. Like give, it's their gift. Yeah. So that's how you know if you if you make your if you make something valuable to somebody else and they get it. Architecture's not its job. It doesn't have to be an ego game. It's basically just being a team player, bringing back the project manager, the, the analysts, the program. The programmers are more in the construction level, but the architects are more at the inception phase, about the dream phase, like where. Where do you want to build this thing? Which direction? And um, there's there's many architectures out there. Architecture is very, as you know, could be very complex. And every site I go to have many different nuances. In fact, most architectures are so brittle and broken. Um, I mean, most companies have like hundreds of applications they never use that they do use. And yeah. it, it's quite a broken land. So there's a huge opportunity there to clean up and save a lot of money. And also put our companies and our governments in a position of having, you know, excellence. It's not that hard to get there, really. So it's a great, it's a very challenging industry. I want people to get into it. I, the next generation, there'll still be a job there, even yes. though we got AI. Um, we still need some humans. <laughs> well, definitely. well, that's a good point because um, yeah. I think when uh, IT professionals look at that big problem, right? They overhearing what the business is saying they want to do, right? Something faster transact faster, uh, bring the information straight to the front lines in different and new formats, yeah. like protecting privacy and the data that's, that you're using. So I think some people kind of jumping right into the technology, right? They said, well, we're going to spend something up, a couple of clouds, a couple of different uh, DevOps initiatives going on. Yeah. There might not be anybody necessarily in charge with the EA title. They say, right. let's make sure we're, we're thinking about the entire picture, how it's going to support the business. Like you said, potentially save money, right? So we can do cleanup, um, uh, call it, take some of the older uh, applications out, make something more newer infrastructure. So let's talk about that. If you look maybe like a cloud architect well, we, somewhere else. Yeah, let's do that. We have some really amazing examples that nobody seems to notice. Um, Admiral Grace Hopper was funded by the U.S. Navy to build COBOL. It was put in the public domain. Although Al Gore took a lot of punishment, yes, he was part of the Treasury project, 
to fund the internet. <laughs> the, the U.S. federal government funded the internet. Without the U.S. federal government and the partnership between private and public, we wouldn't have internet. We wouldn't have the GPS network. Um, so I have a lot of time. Well, right now we're in an existential battle with the world because most likely the U.S. is the most elite, a leading edge technology warfare um, capability in the world. And still they're far ahead. I've had some ability to work with the U.S. Air Force a lot. And um, they just came out, uh, going back to what you just said, they, they've, they've now going to clean shop. Uh, we used to outsource all the code till we found out the chips made in China and other countries had listeners in them. Yes. <laughs> and they would deteriorate after two years and the, the planes would fall apart. Well, that's all gone. Uh, you know, there's been some things behind the scenes. People don't even pay attention to the news where we're onshoring the code, we're onshoring the technology, we're not going to give out the technology easily. And the um, Secretary of the Air Force sent a letter about two years, three years ago, and they really mean business. They're go they're calling it security, dev security DevOps, uh, security development operation. But level one, you don't get your you don't get your concept of operation if you don't get approved. You don't get um, approval uh, to operate unless you have enterprise architecture number one. Because you cannot build an architecture for warfare or for military or for finance or for anything large. Like even a good example is Amazon. That uh, Jeff Bezos is an architect. And he laid down the law. If you do certain things as a programmer, you're fired. You have to use architecture. You can't just hack out your own solution. So we're seeing that happening and the, the ability to clean up now. So the, I think what you're seeing is a, a massive behind-the-scenes movement and not only the military, definitely the private sector with examples of Amazon and, and all the large uh, business corporations making money this way simply is a massive attitude towards cleaning up. In fact, I get involved in that a lot. We call it greenfield versus cleaning up. Sometimes a transformation is better to just launch the new stuff and keep the old stuff running, not just stop one and throw the other one out. It, you know, it's most likely better to start a small startup in your company with the new technologies under the auspices of the architecture or research and development or some group in your engine in your group. That's right, reporting right to the boardroom. Because right now, AI and all of that stuff is going to completely change retail. If we think retail change yeah. now, like go find me the cheapest pair of socks, you know? Yeah. So it, you can see how these things are going to start. Um, and way more complicated than that. Yeah, I'm thinking just about So yeah, we're seeing a lot of cleanup in the yeah. existing architectures because we, can, we now have the science. We now have the tools. We can go out and say, show me all the applications that are just not produ producing value in our, show us the bad data. And um, which leads us to another big problem is when you ask people in corporate America, in IT departments, what's the quality of our data? They're saying maybe 4% quality is good <laughs> of all the data we have. So if the AI is going after that data, it, it begs the question, and who's who's going to if an AI machine says finds me for speeding or whatever is going to happen to me? I don't know. Um, how do I dispute it? Well, maybe they made a mistake. 
That's a good point. So that's the human element of thinking about it up front. We need way more human together. element in the industry, but we're sort of losing track of the whole human element. It's yeah. it's all like we're all machines now. We're all and did, did you know? Did you hear the news that came out the other day? How Hamas tricked the U.S. Uh, sort of the uh, the you know they tricked the um, the intelligence industry. You know how they did it? Let the, um, They've been planning for a year. They just there was a news piece. They aren't using digital. They're using analog copper telephone wire. Oh yeah, yeah. So you stay out of the digital world, and you can do it. Uh, so, you know, there's there's all kinds of ways of getting around the digital world. Uh, so that that's another technology. That's another thing an architect should be looking out for threat. Um, and and we've we've got some amazing stuff. We've got stuff working right now that people won't even maybe ever hear about. We, I mean, the, the the leading edge architecture theory right now in security and threat is having machines fighting machines. And I worked with a guy from 20 years ago that was starting the idea. He was studying microbiology and how bacteria infects the body, and he was taking those digital those theories into digital. Uh, he can he they could create like 10,000 good guys that would go after the 500 bad guys in the network for a threat detection. And that's where we are now. We have yeah. that. We have those capabilities, but of course, they're not commonplace. Yeah, opens up a lot of possibilities. So, design an AI machine to go out to find vulnerabilities in all aspects of the entire. Exactly. Exactly. And, that's and another have, area. Yeah. And, and so, if we can get much more secure machinery, then we're a lot better off. You know, a lot of us can right. be a lot. Governments, people, corporations can be better off with more. It's always good to have somebody make you more secure. But also that leaves another opportunity, right? In uh, some of our physical structures, we talk about operational technology, OT, um, all right. skater devices. I mean, this tech hasn't been touched in decades, right? And now we're trying right. to pull more information, more remote control of it. So that's a big opportunity. Right. Healthcare, we want to get more embedded devices inside. The oh, body. healthcare is amazing, you know, for, isn't it? So it's yeah. like, so if you want to do anything that touches humans or have an impact yeah. on any business, we're, we're talking about this EA need. I mean, really across the board, really, right? We can't just do a piecemeal anymore. I'm trying to think. No, that's an encouraging area you touched on because I've been working a lot with the healthcare, and um, they, they're, you know, you know, maybe America's been criticized for having some broken healthcare, but at the same time, when you look behind the scenes, that's a good thing because that really motivates you to fix it. <laughs> yeah. And so, if you look at it from a price point of view. It's maybe cheaper and more efficient to do the right job behind the scenes and not have all these redundancies and problems. So we're seeing some, I mean, things happening in healthcare, they're phenomenal, like people running around with these wrist bits, getting their blood pressure taken, their heart monitored. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in the age group now where people are tending to be more ill <laughs> as you get older. Yeah, yeah. And people are getting oper heart operations by having a tiny incision. Uh, in their in their crotch somewhere in their in their in their hip and the camera the things go up and do the work and they, they they're they're outpatients in one day or the, the same day they're released with a heart i just had a partner who had a major fuse sealed in his heart he was out the same evening the same day that would never happen he would have died five years ago so the technologies that are in and and also the i see more um more 
architects don't just deal with verticals. Like they, most of us think vertical silo. Okay. Architects are horizontal and vertical, and then the other third dimension is time. So we only have those three dimensions: horizontal, vertical, and time. Or so that's that's a three, a multi-dimensional view of, of systems. Uh, uh, there's a terrific amount of good things being done uh, in the healthcare industry. Now, assume thinking it from oh, an yeah. enterprise level, we want to think about if we're going to put some tech inside the human body, we want to know how we're going to update the device or the code and how we secure it and who right. does it. All those questions right. up front got to be embedded in the entire design yep. process. So let's talk about this design process, right? Security, ability to update it, ability to monitor it. Is it costing money? How much did it take to put yeah. it in? So design is one of my favorite topics in the world because I came I came through design to architecture. I mean, I like to build. Then when you like to build, you learn design. You don't learn design at the beginning. You, you most likely start building. Now, if I'd done it, if I would have yeah. designed it differently, you know, that that yeah. that happens to everyone, every programmer in the world. Oh, if I could do it again, you know, if I I would do it differently, and then you have to think about five ways you could have designed it, not one. Yes. And so, design is the ability to. And I, you know, I I was sort of at one time designing this house, um, and uh, looking at it from an architecture point of view, and it's huge. People think. Requirements aren't important. But yeah, requirements are super. Without a requirement, somebody's just going to give you anything they want. Hmm. What color of house do you want? Which way should the window face? Uh, there's there's, there's 2,000. I came out of uh, engineering, so for me, it's easy. Yeah. We had a bill of materials. Those are requirements, you know, like how thick should the wood be, how pressure tested. We, we don't have any problem specifying that because that's easy. It comes to software, oh, no, it's good enough. We don't need requirements there. They're not useful. Yeah, so the design side is how do you get into design without spending time and money, without building it, right? And that's where my greatest love of life came back to me. I didn't know it, was the whole idea of modeling, the idea of modeling everything 10 ways from Sunday. You know, I was a highway engineer, and we would used to be able to design one, maybe three miles of, of freeway complex freeway maybe in one month and then along came computers we were doing 10 design concepts a month so we were using machinery so the moment you can use machinery to help the experts figure out the best uh, most cost efficient design and design should be lightweight so that so you're getting into a really good topic there um so pro everybody looks at programming which we love and we're good at it we can keep doing it we'll keep doing better but then once you build something as a program, then you realize that about design. And then when you do design more, then you start, oh, my God, there's architecture behind this. There's there's yeah. some sort of, oh, I need data. Oh, my God, I need a user interface. Or I need other, all these other pieces that I never dreamt about. Because I don't want to build them all myself. I want to snap them in and reuse them. And that's where architecture comes in, the whole snap in. You know, Jeff Bezos most likely was brilliant because he said, if he, he really made um secure protocol, HTTPS. He said you could sell things on the internet if you could trust them and you could secure them and you could put money in and nobody could um, be fraudulent. Well, he succeeded because yeah. most people don't know his story. It's fascinating architecture story. He took all, every company in the world, Cisco, every server company, I don't know which server company he's dealing with. And he said, build me my own proprietary stuff. 
So Cisco built him the routers, Sun built him servers. And so his system is so secure, even the U.S. federal government runs military security on AWS in a hidden a hidden layer level. So his, his networks are so secure. That's architecture. He and took the basic open architecture and locked it down. And, and then what he did beyond that, which is the bigger story, he went to the U.S. federal government and said, if you have any risk security threat penetration, I will take responsibility for it. Oh, my God. Accountability. That yes, blew yeah. away. People just signed up, said, okay, you're going to take responsibility for it. Yes, I am. Because he knew how secure it was. So that was the whole .gov cloud you may have heard about. Yeah. That's been out there running for many years where our military runs. And you, know, you could drive. It's like driving. A, a, you can send data, through, stealth data through the network and, and nobody even sees it. There's no, there's no data moving. Yeah. That's architecture. Well, and behind powerful. all these things yeah. is architecture. We know it's powerful about this, right? Because this is allowing the business to really be bold, right? So if you want to say, I'm going to take a patient's life in my hand or... I'm a remotely controlled, uh, automatic yeah. car making uh, factory floor that's automatic. Control something on the, under the water in in space. Yeah, uh, you yeah. say we got to have a solid foundation. So you talk about security to be able to monitor it, see what the cost is. That's that's very very powerful to get a business confidence that this platform. So William, is build, yeah, well, William, you've touched on why we need architecture, and if if you're in the business of saving life. Uh, or anything that's critical, you need architecture. So the investment isn't that great, to be honest. But if you're not, if you if you just write hello world programming and yeah. you don't really care. <laughs> but but as time goes on, we have seen architecture getting stronger. It it has taken way longer than I thought. I I've, I've worked with companies who have literally hired three architecture teams, fired three architecture teams in three years, and they keep trying. Mm. And it usually isn't the people. It's usually the culture. You're up against the cult. The biggest thing we're up against is cultural thinking. And uh, you like people like, uh, there's a lot of them, but the leaders I like to talk about in the tech industry, they're team players. You know, they have to be. They want the brightest people like Microsoft. Anybody who is bright, come on over we're just they're hiring people in seattle every, I, I work in seattle or have friends there a lot i'm very close to microsoft once in a while the brightest people in the world uh you know because they we want a lot of people that disagree that can work together to yeah. see things from different points of view not my way or the highway my way or the highway doesn't work in an intelligent industry and our, we're we're in an industry that really requires if not intelligent people it requires a lot of intelligence to make things work so you get the really smart people and guess what things start working <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, we, it's very important you've touched on why architecture is important if it's mission critical so for the for the audience that are listening right so maybe they have a cloud architect title maybe they yeah. have systems engineer title i mean how do they make that jump right so obviously there's a some certification paths you can go so people talk about TOGAF or something some people yeah. think it might be too cumbersome some of some of those certification tracks but I mean, where do people go? Are there groups? I mean, how do you pivot and say? Oh, that's a that's a good question. So, the biggest problem with TOGAL, well, the biggest problem with our industry, is that we have certification bodies, and for some reason, the certification bodies overdo everything. 
And there's no common sense. Like TOGAF is one of the most rigorous, best models. But I've had people say to me, I'm not going to use the 300 diagrams they recommend. Well, nobody talks about the fact, no, it's only five you might need. Uh, there seems to be no, in the certification bodies, it's about passing the exam and meeting those points. But where do we teach common sense and insight about you can stand up toga in five days? It's like, but but they make it like this long, painful, you know, I've had many architects say that to me. And I said, no, there's lightweight. You can tailor it. It's a, it's like a jacket or a suit. You take it off the shelf and you tailor. But yeah, TOGAF is always going to be there. Uh, the standards are really getting tighter on TOGAF, Archimate, and another group I really like, International Association of Solution Architects. Most likely, we need more solution architects. Uh, the people who can really talk to the architects or the business people, you know, um, about because business people go for golf with the sales guy and they say, yeah. I want to buy that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that. That happens often. I mean, face it, I worked for a healthcare company, can't mention names. I think they had uh, 10 of everything. The, you know, they had a, they had scheduling systems, they had 10 scheduling systems. So if you're a doctor, you used one scheduling system. If you're the ICU, you had another scheduling system. And there was no integration. So the, the, the staff had to learn Ten different insurance systems, ten different integration uh, scheduling yeah. systems. So that's not architecture. So yeah, the, the so I International Association of Software Engineers, TOGAF and Archimate, hundred percent behind them. Always, I'm TOGAF certified. I've been training it for years. It's really common sense. Uh, unfortunately, many architects uh, they see us as people who say no. Um, unfortunately, that's happened. I don't know how that ever occurred. Maybe we need a whole new fresh air. Uh, there's a lot of architects that aren't like that. I mean, I, the, the people I work for and report to in my consulting service are men way younger than me who've done both business and IT. Interesting. Okay. They don't. They're not. They're not blindsided anymore. Like in the past, there was these business IT wars, which I never got into. I was always on the business side. <laughs> I'm an IT guy. I'm on the business side. Then, then you're. But, but there were these wars that go on. I, I just worked with the. So, anyways. There's companies that can take months to implement something that some another group can do in a week, or two, or three, yeah. or four. So it's it's culture. It always boils down to culture. Setting the right culture, letting people grow, letting us make mistakes. You know, basically giving us a playpen to play in, instead of managing to the project manager who says it has to be done by Friday. I don't care if it's good or not. Just say you did it, which is is kind of cynical, but it does occur. This idea of you know checking off the boxes and and everybody's I'm not going to fail, you know like um, oh yeah the one of the big failures we had remember in the Obamacare rollout, yeah. not one PM went to the president and said this isn't going to work even if it takes your job your head off yeah. your job is to to tell leadership what they may not want to hear yeah. <laughs> and and that's how I. You know, sometimes I've had my head taken off, but by and large, as an architect, you have to point out the risk right away. Uh, if And and they, they had a timeline to roll it out in 30 days, but they're still working in September on the user interface. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and, you, and you bring up a good point there, right? So if you're not one, you, if you want to hide the bad news, then you can introduce the whole market risk, right? I'm going to introduce something to the market that's not ready because you're yeah. about project risk, right? 
Yeah. So now we're starting to get into these different roles. We got the project manager, we got a business yeah. analyst, maybe we got an enterprise architect, we got some maybe a financial analyst, you know. I mean, there's a lot of different people that got their hands in there with competing um competing role, I guess uh, goals here. And I guess there really should be only one role, right? The business role, right? No matter there, the business there. role, and, and I think the team that works the best in architecture is the EA or solution architect, whoever that is, architects of some kind, the PMs and the BAs, and we all really help each other. People don't see that. As a team, we actually save each other time and pain. And when you can put those three thing, dynamics together, not competing or not, and, and you can have that culture build, it, it works great because... Well, now the PM's got his back covered. The BA can do their analysis. The architect can make sure it's going in the right direction. And if companies can align that group of people, those three together, a business-driven approach, you, you've got it made every time. And we really can help each other. Unfortunately, sometimes people get in their silos, and silos are contrary to architecture. Uh, architecture cannot be siloed. It's a horizontal world, too. And so... That's so a like, really good point you make. So we need to get the EA, the BA, and the PM to hang out in the bar. Right on. Chill on. Hang out in the bar. Invite the government's risk compliance guy, and we can mm -hmm. all help each other yeah. big time. Like um, I need the I need the risk compliance officer because he understands exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Our, we're at such high risk. If we're also at risk by doing nothing. People seem to think doing nothing is no risk. That's the worst. And then some people think. Doing everything now at the beginning is wrong too, but high, low risk. No, you can have a playpen, but doing nothing even has a worse risk. William, I don't know. It would be interesting to write, see a book or a study. How many companies have completely gone yeah. because of revolutions and transformations in the last 10 years? You never will hear about them again. Yeah. I mean, big ones. Yeah. Uh, look, what happened to compact computers? Weren't they one of the most... And, and you you go to each one of these companies, you discover where they made a mistake, right? They said they were the dominant seller of PCs and servers. Nobody's ever going to buy a computer online. Over that. Along comes <laughs> Dell, you know? Yes. That's To me, that's the heart of architecture and staying ahead. The guy, he said, no, what we're going to do is we know corporate buyers aren't going to, you know, go to the internet, but we're going to offer something else. You design your machine on the internet, on the web, and we'll actually put a high support for calls on, we'll, we'll support a lot of people on the phone so we can help you learn to buy. What a great business model because now we don't have to ship all the boxes to, to Best Buy and hope they sell. Yeah. You're buying on demand from what people are just sort of designing from their own point of view. And that that's an old story now. I mean, that's kind of, and you know, but yeah, it, we need to do, and that, and that's how we're going to stay ahead, is by basically trying to have a group of people, which are, should be the architects, forward-looking. They should maybe be looking at least one to two years ahead and have a budget to play with that little thing that's coming two years out. That's what everybody does at the high end. Even when they were starting as scrappy garage architects, we'd have a, the latest toy, like the latest AI or the latest server, the latest web, whatever, yeah. and play with it because you might find out how to use it and how to leverage it. Because quite often it doesn't always, you know, I was looking at AI the other day and somebody said, well, no more SQL. I said, what? No. I said, really? Because I used to teach it and I used to write it, but it's it's ugly. 
how can a business person ever get knowledge that by you know they have to go to yeah. some arcane person and get yeah. an SQL written? Well, AI can do that for you, and that that's going to be great. Oh, give me all of the applications that are costing this much money with this many trouble tickets that are obsoleted or on older platforms that don't use an internet a secure internet protocol. Boom. They're back at you, and now you can go through your whole list of work and make your job simple. That'd be quite powerful. Can we still have organizations struggling with simple asset management, right? That's have, it. That's it. Systems, applications, things they bought, produced, uh, built, that's in the infrastructure, and they don't know about it. I mean, how does that happen in 2023? You know, there's no... It, it's maybe even worse than we think, because uh, I go through like 10 companies a year. And it's it's way worse than you think. It's like, and but that I to me I see that as positive because that's a huge opportunity for an architect wherever they are to show value as long as we're given the mandate to do that. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, it's it's hard to explain to a business lead what you do. They first of all they don't want to know. And should they know? No, but they should find some value in it. If they look behind the scenes from some of the stories we've related here, like why did why did Amazon do so well? Because he had certain insight. Why did Compaq or Dell do better? Because the insight. There's these insights you get, whether you're a business or IT guy, it wouldn't matter. And those insights are basically going to change the whole lay of the situation. I mean, we could go on and on on that one. I mean, if you keep doing root cause analysis, keep looking behind the scenes, mm. Like the story from Hamas, like how they, everybody was dumbfounded. How could they ever fool one of the best security services in the world, in Israel? They used analog telephones. <laughs> they, they, they didn't use wire because every all surveillance now is completely electronic. Well, like, you know, it there's back a, to, let's go back to us using our human minds, insight, our human intelligence, yeah. and not just relying on tech all the time, which I think like you mentioned. Yeah, we're overly reliant on tech and some of the times in my career, I've actually told my my manager, my people said, "Why do you think technology is going to solve that problem? Let's wait a year." You know, I've I've never been one for it. Does it fit? Does it work? Maybe if you wait two years, it'll be more mature. Um, uh, I do want to ask you what this question is about uh, scale, right? So, people listening to this conversation may think, and this is only for the big, big, big companies, right? Smaller companies just don't have the manpower or the budget. To either hire an EA or you know bring a team on board, what do you say um, when they say, "Hey, uh, Ramsey, EA is too, we can't do an EA. We're too small for this." No, I I understand that one too well. Um, well, first of all, if you take a really forensic view, and you were an aud a financial auditor, and you looked at a I'll say medium sized company, how, what would be small or medium enterprise? Most most companies are enterprise. Uh, what they call small enterprise. What does Microsoft define that is? Three to 500 people, not just in IT or there's a certain size. If you could take a forensic approach, I could bet any day of the year, but I couldn't prove it, that you're losing and wasting more money than it would ever cost. And you'd still re reap money back with an architecture team. So I see. It's like a mechanic, you know. Pay me now or pay me later. <laughs> yeah, and you know, decision. like, yeah. It, it, and look at all the fraud and all the data thefts. I mean, that that would have been avoided with good architecture. Um, however, so I, I, to me, the business model is there to sustain it between anywhere from you know, like fifty to three hundred to four hundred 
easy. Um, and and then nowadays also it's easier, William, because we have now have way more people in business who who understand tech better. Um, it's kind of weird. We went through a period of time when actually the leadership didn't understand tech, and that was really dangerous. And and now that's slowly going away. Unfortunately, then we get a whole new generation coming along that thinks tech's in a handphone, and it's not. <laughs> that's just one tech. Um, so, you know, if we're continuing, but so skill sets, um, we have to find those people who basically know how to bring a group of people together with no power. Um, power isn't the name of the game in architecture. What is, uh, we only uh, can show people by proving it. And so we need to be allowed to prove it. And and you know what? Here's my biggest concern. And I want to j- jump into your answer there too a bit more. The biggest concern I have, the companies I work for, I'm on their NDA. I can they're not gonna go out and say, look what I did. Yeah. Um, there was a great example. Oh, yeah, compact no Dell computers wrote a letter in CIO magazine or an article. They were so far ahead of compact and competition, the CIO actually had an article published about how he did his new business model just rubbing their face in the ground saying, I know you'll never catch up. And and that's kind of where I like to see this strategic thing go. That's what a CIO should be delivering the organization is finding new insights. But we need to find people who are, and there's so many opportunities right now. It, it's scary how many jobs we need, how many bright young people we need um, in the architecture group. You know, typically a solution architect is somebody who's been around in programming for a minimum of, 10 years, five to 10 years. So we need more solution architects. That's a great way to get in. You know, somebody who likes problems, somebody who has a problem and says, there's five solutions to this problem. We don't know what they are, but we're going to find them. And then we're going to, so the skill sets there, all the, I mean, there's a lot of good training companies out there. I've worked with a number of training corporations. Um, I worked with Learning Tree International for about 10, 15 years. It was a great job because I got free continual training. I get to teach all these great people the leading edge stuff. And um, you get to see what corporations are doing right now. But we got a huge challenge in the U.S. Um, There's going to be a big shift in programming. uh, But at the same time, we're still always going to need those architects for many, many more years. And things are never going to stay the same. And I I would say that maybe things are going to move so fast that maybe we'll see even more uh, corporations and government agencies fail um, because things are just going to move so fast. Uh, COVID was maybe the worst thing that happened to us because we've had a reduction of uh, the IT departments have just been completely decimated. Everybody wanted to work at home. And then they realized how nice it was and then nobody wants to work anymore. <laughs> there's a lot of that going. So there's huge opportunities for any young person who's 20, 25, anything to get into. I really want you folks in here because we're, it's a great industry to be in and the skill sets, you know, like you've got to have a lot of people skills because unfortunately a lot of us have technical skills. So we have to learn the people skills deliberately. You know, I, I've always been lucky. I've always had gift of the gab. So, but um, I had to learn a lot of communication skills big time, even though I like to be communicated with people, that doesn't mean to say you have a skill. Uh, so people skills were most likely number one. Or and and I also put number one for me is attitude. Do you have the right attitude? You know, the aptitude, 
Um, do you like to be humil humiliated continually and continually learn? Yeah. Get back <laughs> up the next day and do it again. yourself all the yes. time. <laughs> oh, man. This, this has been great. We can go on for, for much more. I know good. this is a good, a good stop. Thanks, point. William. Good time to cover an interesting topic. Thank you so much. And it's been valuable, I think, for the audience to kind of look at enterprise architecture so. as a as a professional path. Uh, so th once again, thanks. And uh, everybody, this has been another episode of the Smart IT Podcast. And I'm enjoying these conversations. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again. In the meantime, if you need more information, go to williamreed.info. Thank you for starting the channel, too. That's great. Great work. Right. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank that. you, William. Thanks for joining another episode of the Smart IT Podcast, where we explore what's next for IT and disrupt the status quo, simplify the complex, and reduce risk together. If you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, and leave your comments. And for more Smart IT wisdom, check out my website at williamreed.info.